as a newcomer, me being a newcomer, I'm in a lot of churches, and I have a feeling that Crossroads does not really know what you've got in your music. I want to tell you something, friend. Every song I have heard them sing lifts up Jesus Christ. Scripture reading. I appreciate Drew doing that and those who sing and those who play. I want to tell you something. You don't find that. I find a lot of music. Rock your feet and rock your soul. But it may not say a thing to your spirit. And so I am thankful. I praise God for what we have here. And I want you to know that as well. Well, as you know, if you don't, you've had your head in the sand. We're getting ready for Christmas. You see a little bit of it everywhere. You know, when I think about Christmas, I just have to confess to you that the the best part of Christmas to me, the part that just sort of means the most to me as I look at it, is the lights. I like the lights. I don't like to put them up. I don't like to take them down. But I like the lights A few years ago, going south out of Hopkinsville down on the Lafayette Road, there was a gentleman who lived just a little ways after after you would go past the bypass down the Lafayette Road, and he would put up lights everywhere. At one time, I believe he told me he had over 60,000 lights. He had every tree lit up on his farm. He had all the barns and the buildings and his house. And people would go down the road and pull over just to look at it. And I was one of them. And the police, after a while, said, y'all can't just park in the road here. Uh, but I liked those lights. And it seems they get, they get up earlier every, every year. In fact, I saw some Christmas lights this year before Halloween was over. People were just getting ready, I guess. Or maybe they just turned them on. They'd left them on all year. I don't know. <laughs> But I like the lights. Well, as you probably know, lights are a theme in God's Word, a big theme, light is. I don't know if you're aware, maybe you haven't looked at your calendar, this coming Saturday, some great event is going to happen in our world and for as our uh, calendar is concerned. I'm talking about the winter solstice. You'll remember it is the longest darkness and the shortest light in our hemisphere. It always amazed me that in the darkest time of the year, God just sort of lights it up with Christmas. And I believe that's what happens in all of this. And I want you to see that That first Christmas, there was a lot of lights, friend. I want to tell you something. In that first Christmas, those angels were a part of the most dazzling light show you could ever imagine. And it was so dazzling and so real and so great that those shepherds, when they were through, made their way to find the Christ child. And then several months later, there was another single dazzling light in the sky. And those wise men followed that to find the Christ child. Light 
is really important. Really important. That major theme. Listen to some of these verses. John speaks a lot about light, more than any other writer in God's word, but other passages do have it. But here's one thing in 1 John 1, 5. You just listen. The Bible says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The first command that God ever gave that we have written down was let there be light. Light's important. It's important. John eight twelve, and also in John 9, uh, the fifth verse, Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. Pretty important. John puts it down twice. I am the light of the world. And then Revelation that Dane, that Dane, that Drew just read from a while ago has this to say in that last chapter, the 16th verse, I am the bright morning star. That's what God says, his son says about himself. I am the bright morning star. I hope you have your Bibles. You will turn with me to John, the 12th chapter of John. And probably on your outline, if you can read it, we wanted to see how good your eyes were. And I see some of you like me. No, we just had some problems, and we'll try to get it bigger the next time. But John 24, I want to ask you to stand, if you would. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I begin reading. And I just had the 24th verse there, or the 46th verse, but I want to really start at the 44th verse of John, the 12th chapter. And Jesus cried out, means he loudly proclaimed. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Verse 45. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And now Jesus Christ says in that 46th verse, I have come into the world as a light. Why would he come into the world as a light? Because the world's dark. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so this morning, we're going to look at the light. I pray God just reveals himself, unveils himself before us that we might see it. Would you pray with me? 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says that through the powerful work of Christ in our lives, we become living stones, a building, His church on earth. Father, I pray that the spiritual house you are building through your local congregation here at Crossroads Fellowship will reflect your glory and the strength of your might. I pray, Father, that God's grace will be abundantly evident 
touch every one of us today. May it manifest in our lives the faith and the love found in Christ Jesus. And Father, for those who don't know this light, I pray your spirit to work in their heart. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. We're going to talk about some dark days. I think everyone has dark days. I think that's part of living in the dark world that we have lived in. And I think it's normal. But they are difficult at times. And I want to talk about some darkness that comes in your life and my life. And what God can do in those particular times that we live through and that we go through. First of all, there's the dark days of disappointment. I don't know about you, but it's easy to be disappointed, isn't it? And we get disappointed a lot. Job said in Job 30, verse 26, But when I hoped for good, evil came, and when I waited for light, darkness came. You ever felt that way? I hoped this would come. I had felt this was going to happen. I knew it would. I put all my hope on it, but it didn't happen. You've experienced that this year. We're closing. As a world, we've experienced it. We've had a lot of disappointments, tragedies, domestic violence, deaths, earthquakes, floods, fires, disappointments, a lot of them. Things don't go the way we planned them. We thought it was going to be that way. I thought last year I was going to get an iPad. And I thought that... uh, It was some kind of electronic because I looked at it and the box was the right shape and I picked it up when no one was looking and I thought this is a piece of of equipment or a piece of electronics or something that I've been looking for and I've been wanting an iPad. And when I broke into that thing, you know what was in that box? A fruitcake. (laughs) Fruitcake. Someone played that trick on me, a fruitcake. It was probably a year old from passing through the year before. I don't know. We get disappointed easily. It doesn't always turn out like we thought it would. I heard of two small boys who were just at the point they could hardly wait for Christmas to come. And they'd waited and waited, and they looked at this box, and they knew it was a basketball. You know, you can just tell this is a basketball. They'd been wanting one. And in their mind and in their imagination, they had dribbled that basketball all over that living room, around that Christmas tree and everywhere else. They had shot those baskets and they had just swished the net every time they shot them. Christmas morning came and the first box they ran to was that box they had been waiting on all those days and weeks under that tree. And when they opened it up, it was a globe. Now, that's exactly what two little boys want, a globe. They knew what disappointment is. We know disappointment. I think of Mary during this Christmas time. She knew that she had the Son of God in her womb, and she was carrying that God who was going to be born in the flesh into this world. But there's a lot of things she didn't know. 
And I have to believe that there might have been some disappointment when she found out that the Son of God was going to be born in a grotto. You know what a grotto is? It's a nasty cave that animals go back in for shelter and leave all their nasty smell and droppings in. I can't help but believe she was disappointed in all of that that was happening. That's the darkness that we're looking at, the disappointment that we're looking at. She didn't know all that. It wasn't exactly like she had probably planned. It was disappointment. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. Dark days of distress are stress. All of us have that. The psalmist said in Psalms 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Lord, I've cried out desperately to you, and you haven't come to me in this dark, difficult time that I am distressed in. Boy, it's easy to get stressed in this type of world that we live in, isn't it? especially in this time of the year. Uh, Mary, do you know how far it is from Nazareth to Bethlehem? You may not know. It's about 90 miles. It probably took four to five days. She was probably traveling on a donkey. They could not afford anything else, and she probably couldn't walk by that time very well. So all that time, do you think that's stressful? It had to be. She didn't know what was coming. She's a young lady. She could have been in her 13, 14 years old in all probability. And here she is fixing to go through something she's never experienced. Will anybody there be able to help her? I believe it was a stressful trip and a stressful event, even though she knew what was going to happen. We get stressed, don't we, at this time of the year? You know there's more month than there is money when you get to the end of it. All of those easy payment plans are choking us to death now. Financially, we're stressed in so many things that are happening. We've pushed to the limits as far as we can go, and there's still so much to do, and we're unable to do that. You hear David's distress in that Psalms that we just read. I've cried desperately, God, and where are you? You haven't shown up anywhere. I cry. You've ignored my cries. Help me. I'm overloaded. I can't go on any further. I need you. I guess that's, I would imagine that I could say that's where some of us are today. Maybe it's financially. Maybe we're stressed out physically. A lot of times Christmas, as wonderful as it is, becomes one of the most difficult times of the year for people. Meeting together with family. Distressing sometimes. Your family distresses you. Your spouse stresses you. Your boss really has put you under emotional stress. When you expect a lot in a relationship and it doesn't come through, you really get stressed that time. Days of disappointment, distress. Let me give you a third thing. The dark days of doubt. The dark days of doubt. You ever thought about that? Listen to John 12, verse 35, the first part of it. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. It's pretty evident, isn't it? 
He's drifting. He has no clear objective. Do you ever lose your way? You wonder, what is the answer to all of this? I seem to get no answer. Do you ever feel like your life is just sort of a fog? When you look back at your past, you're disappointed. When you look at the present, you're stressed. And when you look at the future, you just have more worry. It seems to be what our life is just built around. There's many reasons for doubt, for uncertainty. As we finish this year, you've expected a lot of them in the last year, and you know there's going to be some in this new one we're getting ready to go into. It's just going to happen. There's uncertainty. Am I going to keep my job in 2020? Am I even going to get a job? Am I going to keep my marriage? Am I going to have this or am I going to have that? We seem to think there's no choice in all of these. Some years ago in Louisiana, and if you're from Louisiana, I'm not trying to talk down your state, but if you're from Louisiana, you may remember this. Some years ago in Louisiana, there was two men running for governor that really gave no choice or little choice for the voters. One of them that was running for governor was a man by the name of Edwin Edwards. Edwin Edwards was a bona fide crook. He was a convicted felon. He was running for governor. And the guy that was running against him, you've probably heard more about him than you have Edward, Edwin Edwards. This man was David Duke. You've probably heard about David Duke. He was, David Duke, was the leader of KKK in Louisiana. That's all these people had. You may be looking at this new year and say, I really don't have a much better choice than that. Goodness, what a choice. One was a lizard, the other was a wizard. You know, if you've got nothing better than that, what are you going to live with? And a lot of our lives are that way. Maybe you feel like that. Days of disappointment and distress and doubt. And then the last one I have on this list is the dark days of depression. Depression. I'm convinced that all of us have some depression. For most of us, it sort of comes and goes. It doesn't stop everything that happens in our life. But I want to tell you about depression. And I want you to see these things. Everything begins to cave in on you. That's what comes after those first three. You just sort of walk through those steps and you begin to have it. And you begin to think, what is the use? In World War II, as you know, Europe had given and they had tried to work out agreements with the Nazi machine that was taking all of Europe. And they'd given and given and given, thinking they would buy some peace out of all of this. But it didn't happen, as you know. And when the war finally started, I have often thought about this statement that Churchill said. He said, the light has gone out in Europe. That's the way it feels in your life, in my life, when we go through depression. Now listen to what I'm going to share with you. Lamentations 3, verses 19 and 20 We're not sure who wrote Lamentations, but I believe Jeremiah did, if you want to know. And I think that he did. 
Listen to this verse. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. Homelessness is what he's talking about. The wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That's what the writer of Lamentation says. Well, let me tell you what precipitated this. I don't know if you know this, but when Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah and he wrote Lamentations, I want you to know that when he got to the end of that and when he gets to Lamentations, Israel, all of Israel that is healthy and able and can make a difference is taken into captivity in Babylon. No young people left anymore. And also... Jerusalem is desolate. No one lives in Jerusalem anymore. Here's this man that walked among the city and walked among the people in, the, in that country, Israel, and all of it was now gone. Can you imagine being alone in the middle of all of that? He cries out, God, would you be with me in what I'm going through? I want to show you another passage of scripture in Psalms that you, as we talk about this. There was an Ezraite, not an Ezraite, an Ezraite. You may not know about this man. He's a man by the name of Heman, not Haman, Heman. The Bible only mentions him twice. And when the Bible identifies him in uh, First uh, Kings, I think the fourth chapter, the Bible says about this man that he was a gifted man and he was intelligent and he was liked by many. And then Second Chronicles says about this man that he was musically gifted and he wrote songs that would be sung in praise and in worship of God under the reign of David. Now think about this man. He spent most of his life in the temple, in the presence of the Lord, where God was working with all this power. But listen to what he says. In Psalms 88 verse 3, he says, My soul is full of troubles. And then Psalms 88 verse 18, speaking to God, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This man was in the middle of depression and he lived in the presence of God. Now friend, I want to tell you, God's children can have depression. Can have depression My companions have shunned me. My friends are just darkness. What a description. Pause right here and interject something. Listen carefully. Friend, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. God cares for you. God cares for you. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're dealing with right now. God cares for you. He cares about you because you matter to him. He made you in his image. 
Whether you're his child or not, he cares for you. Listen, I have found out that all of us are in one of three places. We're going into a difficult, dark time, or we're in a dark time, or we're coming out of a dark time. All of us, that's where we live. That's how life is. That's the way Satan wants to deal with us a lot of times. Let me tell you something I found out in my years of living. You never get without problems. You just change them for different problems. So if you're thinking, when I get this age or when this happens in my life, I'm not going to have any more problems. I just want to wake you up to reality. They're going to come. And I'll tell you something. As I get older, I found out I don't cope with them as well as I did when I was younger. That's the good news about growing old. That's what it's all about. What do you do in the dark days? Now, this is where I want you to listen. This is what Christmas is really all about, bringing the light to a dark world. First Samuel 22, verse 29, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. My God lightens my darkness. How does God do that, Kent? Well, I want to tell you how he does it. God says, I'm the light of the world. That's the reason for Christmas. That's the reason that first Christmas came. The light of the world. And because he's the light of the world, there's four things that he does for our darkness. I want you to get these. The first one that I want you to see there as we look at how God dispels the darkness. He will encourage me when I'm disappointed. He will encourage me when I'm disappointed. The psalmist says in Psalms 34 verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Do you hear that? And saves the crushed in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's not a far way off. He doesn't walk off and leave us. He's near. That's what God's word's telling us. I'm close. That's what that word means. I'm close in the darkness that you're going through. He's not left you. He's not left me. Maybe you've really been disappointed. Maybe you've disappointed him. And you ask, where's God in the middle of all this? I'll tell you where he is. He's where he's always been. He's near. He's near. In all of this, you've heard this season and you've heard it, the Christmas seasons in the past, the word Emmanuel. And you know what it means. God with us. I just want you to know God's with us. He says so. His word says so. He encourages us. He helps me realize that. Let me give you a second thing. Not only does he shine light on us in our darkness and he's near, he's close, but I want you to also realize that he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life and part of the plan may take you and may take me through those difficult times. He will do that. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have memorized it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. You and to give you a future and a hope. Do you see those words, a future and a hope? What tremendous words, no matter how dark you find yourselves in. Those are encouraging words. God says, I will even use your disappointment to bring you closer to me, to help you understand 
why I created you and the hope I have for you and your future, what I have planned for you. Yes, you have pain and problems right now, but my purpose is greater than those, and I'm getting your attention through all of this as to what I have for you and want for you. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. He encourages me when I'm disappointed, strengthens me when I'm depressed because he says that he gives me a future and a hope. Philippians 4 verse 13 from the Amplified says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. Now listen carefully to this. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. That is, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's what Paul wrote. That's what Paul wrote. I have the strength for whatever comes along. Maybe you ought to put that on your refrigerator or your mirror for 2020. He infuses me with His strength. Now I have strength through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He's saying. Whatever comes my way, whatever is happening, because of Christ's power that infuses me and gives me victory, I can face whatever it is. He will strengthen me. God's real and God is good. Psalms 23, verse 4, you know. (coughs) Excuse me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And you remember what he says at the end of that? For you are with me. For you are with me. Even in the darkest time, you are my God. You are Lord. He encourages me when I'm disappointed, strengthens me when I'm distressed. But there's a third thing I want you to see, and it is he'll guide me when I'm doubtful. When I don't know the way, he will guide me. John eight twelve says, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have Now listen to this part. But we'll have the light of life. Living light. The life of Christ. That's what he says. You'll have that. Peterson in his translation, the message says of that passage, I will provide plenty of light for you to live in. Plenty of light for you to live in. You don't have to stumble in the darkness. In twenty. 19 that we're finishing, you've had a lot of decisions to make. And I want to tell you, you're going to have a lot of them if you live to be in the 20s, 2020s. You're going to have decisions. How are you going to make your decisions? Well, Ken, I'll tell you how I'll make my decisions. What I feel. What I see other people doing. What I think is right. That's how I make my decisions for the things I don't know. Ken, I make my decisions on what the majority is doing. Friend, that's another reason you ought not to make decisions on what the majority is doing. You need to let God make your decisions. He's the only one that knows. He knows what the next step is. 
what it's going to be like. And he tells us. We get uptight and we worry about this. And God says, I will tell you where the next step is. I'll do that. It's dangerous to make major decisions on what I think, what I feel, and what other people are doing. That's dangerous. Where do you get that kind of advice from God's Word, the Bible? He says, you know this from Psalms 119. God's Word says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Listen. One of the reasons we don't wait and listen for God is we're not patient enough. When Jesus says, I will light your path, my lamp is a light to your path. And those little lamps didn't put out much more light than just a candle would today. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give you enough light to make the next step, but you can't see the next two. And that's what God's trying to tell us. I'm light, and I'll give you light, but you have to trust me in that light and in all that is happening. God says, I will do that. He encourages me when I'm disappointed. He strengthens me when I'm distressed and I'm going through stress. And he guides me when I'm doubtful. But there's one last one I want you to see. He changes me when I'm depressed. If you know depression by personal or familial time that you've spent... I want you to listen. God doesn't come up to you. He doesn't come up to me and pat me on the back and say, Kent, you're going to be all right. I'm just going to pat you on the back and it'll be all right. We'll get through this stuff. He doesn't do that. I want you to get a hold of what I got a hold of a few years ago. And it is that God steps out as if it were the throne room of heaven and he comes down to where I am and he looks me in the eye and he said, I will help you. I will give you what you need to go through this depression, to go through this difficult time that you're going through. He says, I'm going to change you. What has to happen is, Kent, you've got to be changed before you can get past this depression. When everything just seems to shut down on me. He doesn't say, come on, try to cheer me up. He stands right beside me. He wants to change me. He wants to change me. He wants to change my thoughts. He wants to change my approaches to things. He wants to change my attitude. Only God can do all of that. But He can change it. God says He can. We don't have to live in the darkness. We can flip on the light. Ephesians 5.13 and 14 says, It is even possible. Now listen carefully. I'm not making all this up. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I don't claim to be. I am an interpreter of God's Word. I want you to hear what he says in Philippians 5.13 and 14. He says, It is even possible, for after all it happened with you, for the light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. The light of Christ in you, shining on you, shining on me, can make me have light and you have light. That's what this light's all about. When this light comes, I now make decisions different. I look at things different. My choices are different. My habits are different. God says that's how I change you. 
Isn't that interesting? That the living light of God shines light in my life and your life and it takes me from depression, the darkness of depression and despair and fills my life with glowing light. I become a person who reflects the light because I have that light in me. Ephesians 5, 9. I just saw this a few months ago. I've, written, I've read, read through Ephesians a lot of times, have memorized a lot of Ephesians, but I've never seen this. Ephesians 5, verse 9. I just got it finally. For the fruit of light, the product of light, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I just never got a hold of that till a little while ago. When light is in me, it produces something. When it's in you, it produces something. And it produces that which is found in what is good and right and true. That's the fruit that comes from the light, the light of Christ in my life. That's what it's all about. It's found in that light in me, not my light. His light in me. When I allow Christ to fill my life with His living love and His living light, then I begin to produce peace, patience, kindness, long suffering, all the fruit of the Spirit. It brings out the best because it's producing it. I'm not producing it. Self control and all that. He is the light. Now, let me give you some life application. Sort of tie all this together. Right now, you may feel overwhelmed. Maybe from the season. Maybe from the, all of the last year that you're winding down now. And maybe there's a lot of dark days. But I want to tell you that what happened... 2,000 plus years ago there at Bethlehem there's light now for a dark world there's light for a dark world he came and he dispelled the darkness whatever kind of darkness you and I are living in 1 John 2 7 and 8 beloved I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is Jesus Christ saying to those there in John? He is saying the new light is the revelation of Jesus Christ in God. It's already shining. You can get a hold of that right now. The true light of Christ can shine in you and shine in me and the darkness in our life can disappear. If we get a hold of that, it can disappear. It's visible. It's profitable, spiritual. It'll make a difference. 
I talked a while ago at the very beginning about those wise men. We don't know how many there were, but they had traveled some months, probably a year and a half or more after the birth of Christ. And you know, I can't help but believe that that bright star was big enough that anybody could see it. You didn't have to be from Babylon to see it. It was unusually large. But they are the only ones that we read about that followed that light. Let me tell you the truth I see. It's one thing to know there's light. It's another thing to follow it. Friend, you have the choice, and I have the choice to decide, well, there may be light out there that can make a change in my life, but I'm not going that direction. You can live with it, and you can die with it. God leaves that choice to you. He leaves that choice to me as well. For some of you this morning, you may need to receive Christ as Lord of your life. Now, to have that light doesn't mean you just walk down an aisle or you just got this or that or you may have joined a church. What he's talking about in all of this is that there has to be that making Jesus Christ Lord. Do you understand that term? I don't think we do. He becomes Lord, which means now He's in charge of everything in my life. I do what He tells me to do. I live as He tells me to live. I begin to follow Him. And it's only as you follow Him and you live with Him every day when you have received Him as Lord of your life that you begin to have this light to drive away, to expel the darkness. Joining a church, getting baptized, being good and great, those are wonderful, but those don't get you to heaven. God's not going to be taking church roles at the great pearly gates. He's not going to ask you what denomination you were a part of. He's going to look for the blood of His Son in your life and in my life that's been covered by it. Christ says, when you do that, I'll give you light in your darkness. You'll become light. You'll have new attitudes, new thoughts, new plans that are from me. You say, Ken, I want to tell you, I don't think God would come to me. You don't know what my life's like. No, I don't. I'm thankful you don't know what my life is like. But I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ was born in a stinking stone cave. I've walked back in those things. I can't imagine what that thing smelled like. And he was laid in a trough that you'd feed animals from. Jesus Christ in his ministry went out and he touched the lepers He touched those that were blind. He went in with the people who weren't popular with the ones who thought they were in charge of everything. I'm saying all this to tell you, you can't go anyplace that Jesus won't come and get you if you ask Him to, if you invite Him to. He will do that. That's this Jesus Christ. Don't let a fallen world discourage you. Won't you do that? Psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Would you ask him to be your light and your salvation? 
In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand after I have a word of prayer. And I just ask you, would you just do what God's leading you to do? It may not be comfortable, but if you know it's from God, it'll be blessed. I don't know what he's talking to you about. You may be a member of this church. You may be a child of the family of God, but there may be things you're wrestling with. I would pray this morning that we leave this place with living light. Let me ask you to stand before I pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would speak to all of us. Father, my prayer is that the light that is in me would be a light that would bring others to you. A light that would indicate that it is coming from a source and a power greater than I can ever be. And I pray, Father, this morning that as you speak to those who call you Father, that we would realize that you have sufficient light. We don't have to grovel in the darkness. I pray we would just come clean with you and say, oh God, take this again and use it as light in the world. Father, if there are those who have never received you, they don't know what a personal relationship is like, I pray that by faith, as they hear your word, they would receive you. I pray they would make that public. Father, we need light, and you are light. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As the music plays, if God's speaking to you, would you just say yes to him, whatever it is, and wherever you are. You don't have to tell me, but would you, in the presence of God, say yes. receive our offering in just a moment. Uh, we've got someone who has a special prayer. I'm just going to ask you, come sit up here and let us gather around you and pray for you uh, after we take up offerings and whatever announcement says. Let me share with you something before we pick up the offering. The late great tennis player Arthur Ashe, growing up, grow, grew up in a very poor family, but his daddy taught him something. Every Christmas day, he would take Arthur Ashe, to some families that were worse off than his family. And he was instructed to give them some of his old toys that he'd got, but also he had to give a new toy or two every Christmas. He writes about this in his uh, 
memoirs that he leaves, and uh, he was a tremendous man. But I want to share with you what he says about this, about fortunes. His, his uh, uh, memoir that he wrote is Days of Grace. But here's what he said about his philosophy of wealth. I think it's wonderful. He said, from what you get, or from what we get, rather, we can make a living. But what we give, however, makes a life. I'm not sure we got that. But I want to tell you something. That speaks to my heart. And so, as you give, as God leads you, we're blessed. We're blessed. But let's make some lives instead of just living. You come on here. When you get through, you come up here and we'll pray for you before we close.